Joshua, and I also want to highlight another ordinary superhero, a prostitute by the name of Rahab, exactly. Let me kind of build the historical walk that we've been going through. We started with Adam and Eve. We talked about Cain and Abel, Noah, the Tower of Babel. We uh, talked about Abraham, then Isaac, then Jacob, then Joseph, then Moses, then Joshua and Caleb. Today we're talking about Rahab and Joshua. Rahab, this prostitute in Jericho, who had the faith to believe in God and turned from the culture of her city and adopt and believe in the God of Israel. You know, when uh, the Jews were wandering in the wilderness for 40 years, Joshua would take over. Uh, Moses is now dead. And God does an amazing miracle that demonstrates that God is with Jacob just like he is with Moses. He tells the Israelites to take the Ark of the Covenant and for the priests to carry the Ark of the Covenant. And as soon as the feet of the priests hit the Jordan River, the waters are held back to the north and two million Israelites cross the Jordan River on dry ground. It's an amazing miracle. It, it just confirms with the people of Israel, hey, God is with Joshua, just like he was with Joseph. This is a similar miracle to that which we experienced at the Red Sea when God parted the waters. An amazing miracle. It's right about there where the crossing occurred of the Israelites. And then once they crossed, they sent out two spies to spy out the city of Jericho. Let me read the passage in Joshua 2.9. When they arrived in Jericho, Rahab said to the men, they went to a brothel, right, to a, uh, this place in Jericho where Rahab was. I know that the Lord has given you the land and that the fear of you has fallen upon us and that all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. They had heard what God had done. They had heard the awesome miracles of God. They had 40 years to repent Sometimes people say to me, why, why was God so harsh on these inhabitants? They had heard what God had done, yet they still did not repent. And God spoke about it. We'll show you in just a minute how God saw the evil that was happening in the land of Canaan. And time for judgment had come. Verse 10 says this, For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when he came out of Egypt. And what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan to Sion and Og, whom you devoted to destruction. Verse 11, And as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted. They knew that the God of Israel was an awesome God. Their hearts melted and they were, there was no spirit left in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. This prostitute got it right. Rahab, the prostitute. Now think about that. If Rahab, this prostitute in Jericho, she was a prostitute. She was a Canaanite. She wasn't a Jew. These were people that were involved in evil. And she was a liar, by the way. She lied about the spies to protect their lives. But here's the bottom line. She was a woman of faith, and she became an ancestor of Jesus. In fact, in Hebrews chapter 11, this prostitute, if there's a story in the Bible that should give everyone hope, it's this story of Rahab, that she was welcomed into the people of God, 
and left and turned from the culture of Jericho. It says this in Hebrews 11, By faith the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. By faith Rahab the prostitute did not perish with, with those who were disobedient. See, in Matthew 1.5, it identifies the lineage of Jesus. And this verse is powerful in the book of Matthew. Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. See, Rahab, and they made a point of saying it. Rahab, this woman whose life was changed by the power of God, became an ancestor of Jesus Christ. And the Jews are ready to conquer the promised land, the land that was given to them long before, given to Abraham. They were ready to come back after 400 years of slavery and take back the land that was theirs. But, but here's an amazing statement by God in Deuteronomy chapter 9. It says this, Not because of your righteousness or the uprightness of your heart, God tells the Israelites, do you go to possess their land. But for the wickedness of these nations, the Lord your God will drive them out before you. See, God makes it clear. It's not because Israel is super righteous, but God is going to use the Israelites to judge these people who had so harshly turned against God, refused to believe in God, and did incredibly wicked things. See, they weren't following God's plan. They didn't turn to God. I don't know if you heard about that airplane crash this week uh, that a small aircraft took off from the Oceanside Airport, and it was a foggy morning. The uh, conditions weren't good, and the plane crashed, crashed into a hillside. Uh, both pilots that were there, they, I guess apparently both of them were pilots. One died, one lived. And in fact, when I was driving in this week, I heard on the news, I was watching this story, just saddened by what happened. The conditions weren't good. They couldn't see where they were going. And as I was driving into uh, Riverview Church uh, this week, I saw that the plane, I'm driving right next to the plane that they pulled off the hill, that had crashed, simply because they didn't see where they were going. They didn't have the sight to, to, to be able to fly that plane like they should. And I want to tell you today, when you think about the Word of God, when you think about the truth of God, it, it's what gives us the ability to see the way to go so we don't end up in destruction, so we don't end up destroying our lives. The Word of God's wisdom is so powerful, my friends. And the more I've studied it over the years, the more confidence I have in the Word of God, the more confidence I have to say, I will endeavor to live my life according to the principles of it. That's what the Canaanites did not do. They turned from God, even though they knew the incredible works of God. But we have even a fuller view of it, amen? When we uh, remember the death of Jesus Christ on the cross, uh, the, the Bible says, Jesus said, Abraham longed to see my day. He longed to see it. But we fully understand why Jesus came so that our lives would not end in destruction. Like you turn your Bibles to Joshua chapter 5. We're in the book of Joshua. We've gone through Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Now the book of Joshua, chapter 5. They've crossed the Red Sea. I'm sorry, the uh, Jordan River. And, and now Joshua encounters a Christophany, an appearance of Jesus, I believe it was, in the Old Testament. Listen to what it says in verse 13. When Joshua was by Jericho, he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, a man was standing before him with his sword drawn in his hand. 
And Joshua went to him and said, are you for us or for our adversaries? Are you for us or against us? He asked this man with his sword drawn. And this man said, no, but I am the commander of the army of the Lord. It's an interesting answer, right? He doesn't say, oh, Joshua, I'm for you. He doesn't say, no, he goes, no, I'm the commander of the army of the Lord. Now I have come, and Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshiped and said to him, what does my Lord say to, what does he call himself, Joshua? His servant. What does my Lord want to say to his servant? I love that. And the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, take off your sandals from your feet for the place where you are standing is holy, and Joshua did so. The bottom line of today's message is this. Believing and trusting in God's will and plan is never a foolish decision because God is absolutely in control and he promises a good outcome. Hey, I, I, I get it, just like you do. Living for Jesus is seen as foolishness by many people in the world. I get it. I've been made fun of like you probably have. I've been put down like you probably have. Believing that God created the universe, people have insulted me for that, like they probably have for you. I get it. The world sees Jesus as foolish. But here's the reality. Jesus Christ lived, died, and rose again. His words have authority beyond anyone that ever lived on this planet. And I know at times the world will look at us and say, how can a man who lived 2,000 years ago impact your life today? They see it as foolishness. But we know, if you know Jesus, and if you know the evidence, and I always say this to everyone I talk to, there is so much more evidence to believe that there is a creator God than all this happened by accident. The scientific evidence is on our side. There is virtually nil evidence for evolution, yet it's taught in our schools. But so much evidence for a creator, designer, God that is not taught to our kids. There's so much evidence that Jesus lived on this planet and died and rose again. That we can place our faith and trust in him. And my prayer would be that even though the world sees it as foolishness, that we have the faith to do what's quote unquote foolish. Because it really happened. And the power of God can change lives. And there is hope in Jesus Christ. In Joshua 6, 1, the next verse, it says this, Now Jericho was shut up inside and out because of the people of Israel. None went out and none came in. The people of Jericho were terrified of the armies of Israel. And Jericho was right there where that red dot is. And it was a fortified city. But here's the first thing I want you to remember as a follower of Jesus Christ, and it's this. Refresh daily your servant identity in Christ. I love what Joshua says. Tell your servant what you want me to do. I am your servant. He recognized as he worshipped this man standing there with a drawn sword that this was deity. And he said, I I'm your servant. He bows and worships. Now, you wouldn't worship an angel. An angel wouldn't receive that worship. But this person in Joshua chapter 5 receives the worship of Joshua. And here's the plan that God gives Joshua. Now think about it. Joshua's a commander. He's a fighter. 
He's a military man. Here's the plan that God has come up with to conquer this fortified city, the city of Jericho. That's what he says. And the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have given Jericho into your hand with his king and mighty men of valor. You shall march around the city, all the men of war, going around the city once. Thus shall you do for six days. Seven priests shall bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark. On the seventh day, you shall march around the city seven times. And the priests shall blow their trumpets. And when they make the long blast with the ram's horn, when you hear the sound of the trumpet, then all the people shall shout with a great shout. And the wall of the city will fall down what? Flat. You can imagine Joshua hearing that plan. Wait a minute, God, how will I explain this to my people? How will I explain this as this is the best military plan that God could come up with? We're going to march around the city one time for six days. And then march around the city seven times on the seventh day. Not once or twice or three times or four times or five times or six times. They're going to march around it seven times. You can imagine, as Joshua is explaining this plan to his armies, they'll probably say to themselves, we'll be exhausted by the seventh march. How will we fight? Joshua, who came up with this foolish plan? Who came up with this? God did. God came up with this foolish plan. See, God was testing the Israelites. Do you have enough faith to believe in doing something foolish. What people will consider foolish. But God's given you the plan. You can imagine what happened as they implement this plan. The first day as they march around the city. I'm the picture of the people of Jericho. were ready for an attack at any time. Archaeologists have found the city of Jericho. There were two walls. Wide enough where two chariots could drive between those two walls. A double fortified city. And I'm sure they were ready for an attack at any time, but it didn't happen the first day or the second or the third or the fourth or the fifth or the sixth. And then the seventh day, uh, they saw the army march around the city seven times waiting for an attack, but it never came until finally after the seventh march around the city, the priests blow their trumpets and the people give a shout and God knocks down the wall. See, that's why God has... And Jesus has his sword drawn. He was telling Joshua, I'm going to fight for you. This is going to be a battle that I am going to win for you. See, Joshua says, what does my Lord say to his servant? I want to challenge all of us to have a servant identity in your life. That you are, if someone says to you, who are you, Mel Svensson? That without hesitation, I would say, man, I want to be a servant of God. I want to serve God. I want to do my life his way, not my way. I want to get to the end of my life and say I didn't live it for myself. My identity is in Jesus Christ. That's who defines me. See, Joshua falls down flat in reverence and worship. Joshua would worship no ordinary angel, human messenger. This swordman must be a manifestation of God in person. And Joshua does the right thing. He worships this person with a, a sword drawn and says, I'm your servant, God. That's who I am. 
And for all of us here today, we need to have that kind of identity. You know, we've talked about faith, and I've given this definition a few times. Faith is this, trusting and obeying God, no matter what the circumstances, because God is in control and promises a good result. See, who I am in Christ is a person that walks by faith. I know it sounds foolish to non-believers. I know it sounds foolish to people who do not believe in Christ. But I I want you to know, after living all these years as a believer, our faith is a rational faith. The evidence is there to back it up. And it might be foolish to the world, but it means everything to those of us who believe, who've taken what I consider to be that small step of faith to believe there is a God that created everything and that he, if he created us, wanted to communicate with us, sent his only son to die on the cross for us. See, uh, we're, we're servants of God, just like Joshua. We're here to serve God. Who I am in Christ, I wrote this down. In Christ, we are fundamentally new and belong to the people of heaven. We are a new creation. We don't belong here anymore. The Bible says we're aliens in a foreign land. I don't know if you've ever traveled to places like uh, the Orient. Uh, I have. Uh, Europe is a little bit familiar, right? Because you can recognize the alphabet for the most part. But in Japan, where I was one time, the alphabet is totally different. You can't even read the signs unless, to be nice to the tourists, they put it in English. But you can't read the signs. You can't recognize the letter. You You know you are in a foreign land, that you are an alien. You know it all The time you are there. That's really what a Christian feels like in this world. We know we're aliens. We're aliens in this foreign land. We don't feel at home here. See, we're servants of God. We are fundamentally new. We belong to the people of heaven. The beliefs, the values, the customs, the expectations of this world increasingly feel foreign to us. We've been born again for another world to serve an awesome king in a greater kind of existence. A a life that's lived for God. And that impacts the way we do church. That impacts the way we relate to one another. Think about people from all different backgrounds, all walks of life come together and they know they're brothers and sisters in the body of Christ because we believe in Jesus. We believe in the uniqueness of his life, the power of his resurrection, and it binds us together like nothing in the world can. Nothing in the world can. I hope your identity today is you're a servant of Christ. I I told this story uh, at a funeral or two, but I I remember last year during the football playoffs, Case Keenum, I don't know if you remember the story, Minnesota Vikings, he's he's a quarterback, and they're losing their playoff game. And he does this amazing thing. He drops back. The last play of the game, they're down by four points. They need a touchdown. They're 60 yards yards away. He throws this pass. uh, Four seconds left in the game. Stephon Diggs catches it. The two defenders knock each other out. He turns. Stephon Diggs runs into the goal line and wins the game. The crowd is going crazy. There's confetti coming down. It was a win at home. They call it the miracle in Minnesota now, that one game that happened last year. And a reporter came to the quarterback and said to her, while all this confetti is coming down, he's still in his football uniform. He says, the quarterback says, uh, I'm sorry, the, the reporter says, Case, this must be the greatest day of your life. What impressed me, 
And when she asked that question, my ears perked up a little bit. What it impressed me was without hesitation, the quarterback, Case Keenum, said this. No, this is the third greatest day in my life. I've told you this, right? Third greatest day in my life. Without hesitation. He didn't hesitate for one second. Third greatest day in my life. The greatest day in my life was the day I gave my heart and life to Jesus Christ. The second day was when I married my wife. It's good he said that, amen? That was good he said that. That was very wise of him. And he said, this is the third. See, without hesitation, he knew exactly what the greatest day in his life was. I love that. If somebody asks you, who, you, who are you? What is your identity? What defines you as a person? Without hesitation, would you say, hey, I'm a servant of Jesus Christ. I've given my life to Christ. I live for him. I don't want to live for anybody else. I am a fundamentally new creation in Christ. My life is defined by him. That's what Joshua's like. Hey, I'm your servant. What do you have for me? And God was going to test them. God was going to test them. Hey, Joshua, here's my plan. You're going to march around the city once for six days. And on the seventh day, new plan. Yeah, new plan, God. Give me a new plan. You're going to march around the city seven times. Blow your trumpets and give a great shout, and those walls are going to fall down. Joshua probably thought, man, I knew we had bad trumpet players, but I didn't think they were that bad. Those walls are just going to fall down. Yes, Joshua, do you have the faith to believe what people will consider foolish? But because it's my plan, God says, will you follow it? Will you follow it? Church, we have this awesome message. To some people, it will be foolish, but it's God's plan. Here's the first, second thing I want you to remember as a believer in Christ. Refuse to compromise or change God's plan plan. What I love about Joshua is he must have understood how difficult it would be to tell the Israelite army this plan. But he didn't change it one bit. He did it exactly like God told him to. Don't change it. Don't compromise. Regardless of how well fortified and entrenched the opposition is. And I, I get it as well, right? More and more there is an entrenchment against the Christian message in our culture. There is an entrenchment against the Christian values in our culture. And people ask me, what, about, what do you think about this moral issue in our culture? What do you think about that? What do you think about this? Here's what I always say in response. Because it doesn't matter what I think, amen? It doesn't matter what I think. I always say, this is what God thinks of that. See, it's not my opinion. This is what God thinks of it. Uh, It doesn't matter what I think of it. Let me tell you what God thinks of this. You know, people have said to me, oh, the walls of Jericho falling, yeah, right. That, that, That really happened. You know, no one really believed in the story of Jericho. They mocked it until the mid 1900s. And archaeologists saw this big mound and wondered, what's underneath that massive mound over there? By the way, 95% of the archaeology that needs to be done in Israel has yet to be done. That shows you how little has been done. But when they uncovered this mound in Israel, 
they discovered that it was the ruins of the fallen city of Jericho. They discovered that there were two walls all around the city of Jericho. There was a retaining wall that was 15 feet high. There was a lower city wall that was 20 to 25 feet high. Then above that, there was the upper city wall 20 to 25 feet high. All of a sudden, people began to read the Bible again. Wow, this is the city of Jericho. Dr. Brian Wood, an archaeologist, said, the archaeological evidence supports the historical accuracy of the biblical account in every detail, every aspect of the story that could possibly be verified by the findings of archaeology is, in fact, verified. That the walls fell down. Now, here's an interesting thing they found out. I've been to Jericho. I was in Israel. Here's an interesting thing they found out. The walls, which typically in a walled, fortified city, would be pushed in by an attacking army. <clears throat> For some reason, archaeologists can't explain it, but the walls of Jericho fell outward. We don't know why, they say. But the walls of Jericho fell outward, not inward like we've seen time after time with walled cities because the attacking armies would push the walls in on the people. But these walls fell outward. I read this as well. And during excavations of Jericho between 1930 and 36, John Garstang, a famous archaeologist, wrote this declaration, signed by himself and two other members of his team. As to the main fact then that there remains no doubt the walls fell outward so completely that the attackers would be able to clamber up and over the ruins into the city. God caused those walls to fall outward. They became the ramp by which the armies of Israel climbed over the walls into the city to conquer the city and judge the sin of the Canaanites. Archaeology, again, supporting God's word. The city was strongly fortified. The attack occurred just after harvest time, like it says in the Bible. They could tell that by the remains that were in the city. The inhabitants had no opportunity to flee with their food. The siege was short. The walls were leveled. The city was not plundered, exactly like the Bible says. And the city was burned. Every part of the story is verified by archaeology. And I want you to know, Jericho becomes this everlasting, eternal reminder to us that God expects us to do what the world considers foolish. God expects us to believe what the world considers foolish. The Jericho, the people of Jericho followed the plan perfectly. They followed it to a T. They didn't compromise it. Joshua didn't change it to comfort his soldiers. He kept the plan the same. The most ridiculous attack plan ever presented. But he didn't change it. God was testing them. Will you obey me even when it feels foolish? Here's the third thing I want us to remember. Remember that real victory begins and remains with God, regardless of how foolish God's ways may appear to the world. This is the bottom line, really, right? That real victory begins and remains with God. The reason why we follow God is because Jesus won the victory on the cross and rose again. Why would you ever turn from that message 
uh, Blaise Pascal, it's called Pascal's Wager, said, why would you ever not believe in a God? An atheist who doesn't believe in a God, well, he just believes that we're going to go off into non-existence. But Pascal said, for a believer, you have everything to gain, nothing to lose. Believing in Jesus, if it's true, you gain everything. If it's false, you lose nothing. Because you'll be exactly where the atheist is. Why would someone ever take the atheist side of that wager? Pascal's wager. But to believe that Jesus truly died and rose again. See, the Israelites were told by God to take the Ark of the Covenant, that three foot by three foot by five foot gold box, and carry it in the midst of the people. They had soldiers in front. They had soldiers behind. But in the midst was the Ark of the Covenant. It was a message to the people of Jericho and to the Israelites. God is the one fighting this battle. God is the one who has his sword drawn. And ultimately, God wins. Every time, God wins. And it breaks my heart when I see people battling with God in a boxing match with God. And I often say, what are you gaining by this boxing match? There are times in our lives we will experience things that we cannot quite understand. But I am constantly drawn back to the cross, standing at the foot of the cross, saying, Lord, I don't understand why this happened or that happened. But I do understand this, that you came to the cross and hung there for six hours to set me free, to pay the price for my sins. God, I don't fully understand everything that happens, but I trust you. I trust you, God. God is in our midst, and he wins. See, following God's plan for believers, we believe it is wisdom. The Israelites, we're going to follow God's plan. We're not going to compromise it. We're not going to change it. We're not going to try to comfort our culture by changing the word of God. We're going to follow what it says. This is what God thinks. This is what our message is. We're not going to change it. But we get it. Unbelievers see it as foolish. And they see believers as foolish. God predicted it in 1 Corinthians. It says this. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men. And the weakness of God is stronger than men. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. What we believe is the truth. Backed up by the death and resurrection of Christ. Yes, the world thinks it's foolish. But our challenge today, my friends, is to hold our heads high as believers. Don't compromise the message of God. Don't shy away from it. Don't be embarrassed by it. Say it confidently. This is my identity. I'm a servant of God. And this is what defines my life. It may be foolish to you, but I'm not backing down. This is the truth. 1 Corinthians 3 says this, Let no one deceive himself. If any among you thinks he is wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. I had a roommate in seminary, and uh, he met Josh McDowell. Have you anybody heard of Josh McDowell? Evidence that demands a verdict, right? Great apologist. Still alive today. But he said, he told me a story that he heard Josh McDowell speak, and he went up after the, the speech and said to him, 
Josh, I just want to share with you, I'm not sure how to reach out to my dad. My dad's a very self-made person. He's done well. He's, he's very wise, but he doesn't believe in God. And Josh McDowell stopped him and said this. And my friend said, this hurt me when he said this. He said to my friend, I thought you said your dad was wise. You said he doesn't believe in God, but he's wise. He may be very intellectual. He may be very smart, Josh McDowell said, but he's not wise if he doesn't believe in God. See, there are so many paths out there that lead to worthless wandering in the wilderness. We can get caught up in doubt and just doubt our way through our lives instead of trusting God. We can fall into complacency and not get engaged in the work of God like we should. We can give into small compromises that lead to worthless wandering in our life. We can live a self-centered lifestyle even though we claim to follow Jesus. We can get caught up in unteachable pride in our lives. We can get distracted by busyness. And we understand what the world will consider foolish is believing in the word of God, even though the Bible says that it's inspired by God and breathed out by God. 1 Corinthians 1.18, the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. What the world will consider foolish is upholding the teachings of Jesus Christ. But we know this. Hey, like 1 Corinthians 1.23, we preach Christ, a stumbling block to the Jews and foolishness to the Gentiles. Here's another thing they're going to see foolish is living according to the moral standards of Christ, following God's plan for our lives, having marriages that are centered on Christ, having relationships that are centered on Christ, uh, ha- building lives that see others and their needs as more important than our own. Ephesians 4.18 says this, they are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of their heart. People will see telling others about Jesus and the cross as being foolish. But like I just said, for us who are being saved, it is the power of God. I just want to close with this. Remember that challenges and obstacles or trials in no way indicates that God has abandoned you. Hey, these Israelites, they faced Jericho, a well-fortified city. God had not abandoned them. God would give them the victory. See in your obstacles and trials opportunities for the glory and worthiness of God to be revealed. Thirdly, do this. Develop within your soul a deep conviction that you will never be ashamed of the gospel of Christ or the standards by which he's called us to walk. Never be ashamed. Hold your head high as believers in Christ. And remind yourself that in Christ, we already have the victory. Even though it may feel like we're just marching around walls, I want to tell you, the Israelites had already won in the midst of their marching around the walls since God was fighting for them. They had already won. And in Christ today, you have victory. It is yours in Jesus Christ. Amen, church? Amen. Let's pray together. Lord, as we think of the story of Jericho, how ridiculous that plan was. But you were testing their faith. Do you have the faith to believe what humans might often consider foolish? 
And God, we know that you are God who fights for us. You're for us. And we know in this world that there will be trials and tribulations, but we know in you, Lord, we've already won the victory. You've already won victory over death, and our hope is secure in you. Our life is but a breath, and then it's gone, God. But we trust in you today. We follow you, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's stand together. What a powerful name it is. What a powerful name it is. The name of Jesus Christ, my King. What a powerful name it is. Nothing can stand against. What a powerful name it is. The name of Jesus. What a powerful name it is. The name of Jesus. Amen. Well, we have elders up front who love to pray with you about anything going on. Don't forget our Super Bowl Sunday in the back. And live this week, all for him. God bless you. See you on the patio.